Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and I am joined by all three of our podcast regulars this week. That's Micah Chudley, Dan Lambert and Ben Summer. Guys, welcome. Hi Alex. Good evening. Lovely to have you all on. Uh, of course, there will be strong opinions about the Reading match in, and all that entails in due course. But first, the club announced this week that they are starting something called Legends of the Loft. This means that some pitches are going up somewhere in the loft as roads stand. Um, now, I thought, and you guys already know this, that our legends get so much recognition and it's about time that we have a space somewhere in Loftus Road for our less than great players. So very quickly, theoretically, what players from our history would you guys want to see on a wall of shame, let's say? Yeah, I'm Malalka. Oh, the, it's a low blow straight away. Like it, He was set up for failure. Like, let's be honest. Come on. I Can we go for... Go on, Micah. Sorry, I have to go with Rob Hulse. That one will always haunt me forever. Ben? I've got a short memory, so I'm going Jack Clark, except for 20 minutes against Bristol City and then the rest of his career after QPR. Basically, <laughs> we failed there more than him, but he's he's going on the list. Fair enough. Um, I would definitely say Julio Cesar, because unfortunately, when I search up QPR to get onto the website every single time, he's one of the former players that pops up, as suggested by Google. <laughs> Uh, so I have to get reminded of that every time and the disappointment that is him. I, but I, as you know, the easy joke to make about this is that that wall would be covered. We'd probably need it to stretch around the entirety of Loftus Road, not just the stand, but the whole stadium. Um, so probably a good thing we're not doing that because that would be one hell of a crowdfunder for QPR to set up. Um, moving swiftly on, uh, prior to us recording... Uh, QPR very quickly announced the signing of another midfielder, Elijah Dixon Bonner from Liverpool. Uh, always nice when last minute news has dropped in on us like this and we have to reshuffle the podcast a little bit. But um, another midfielder, not necessarily a position that we're weak in, a position we'd probably say we're quite strong in, but all the same let's just hoard some more talent shall we <laughs> um it's, it's an interesting one isn't it because um i think in uh, um in the piece on the club website uh mick bill says that he's uh very similar to luke amos um which is interesting um considering uh luke amos has really only just come back into the team funnily enough so it's clear that um he considers you know the luke amos role per se as a pretty specific one um it's hard to really know what to expect because obviously he's a he's never played men's football other than I think one FA Cup game um if my quick research serves me correctly um so yeah I, I don't really have high expectations which is typically a good thing at QPR yeah they you mentioned the article that the club released there's some fantastic quotes in there at one point, Mick Beal was called a football guru. Um, he then also <laughs> goes on to say that he was scared of him at Liverpool. Uh, he, as He was the big bad boss of the under-23s. But both being from the South, we could relate and we clicked straight away. He also said he was scared of Neil uh, Banfield as well. So, that, you know, 
That's fair. He's a unit, to be fair. (laughs) Neil Banfield. I'd be scared of him too if I was 14. But he seems like a likeable character. He's obviously got something about him. Um, I think, Dan, we mentioned earlier on in the season that, you know, you've got players like Tim that are going to be perhaps... You know, he's going to feature a lot, but on paper, probably someone that could do the field role. So it's not just relying on one position. Amos was pretty unique in our squad before. Pretty much the only player that could play in the midfield with real sort of high intensity. Now we've got a nice bit of backup by the looks of it for him. Yeah, I mean, I admittedly I haven't seen any of his games. I think it was a trial and a few, um, a few under twenty-one games. Um, I mean, like you said before, we already kind of stacked in, in the midfield area, but it'd be kind of um, interesting to see how they kind of drip feed him into the first team. Whether he, I imagine he'll be in first team training, but whether he's actually in the squad, um, yeah, I'm not too sure at this, this moment in time. And lastly, Ben, um, no surprise here, as already mentioned, he kn- Mick Beale knows him from his many travels through the youth football around Europe, and so does... Neil Banfield as well. Um, so, you know, this is just going to be our future now, isn't it? Every player has to have met McBeal at some point. Otherwise, he's not good enough to sign. Listen, McBeal knows everyone. This is this is no longer a surprise to me. But what I quite like is that McBeal knew them from their youth sort of era. So a lot of the time, if McBeal's bringing in a player that he knew earlier on in his own career, that player might be in their early 20s um, and a sort of really promising asset for the club. I liked a lot of the Warburton signings, but a lot of the Warburton signings were ones that basically worked for as long as Mark Warburton was the manager. The likes of Lee Wallace being close to retirement, Johan Barbe being a lot better in that back three that Warburton ended up playing. Whereas if we're signing players uh, like this guy, then, you know, it, based on the Beal links, I'm quite happy with that. Just a, a quick note as well on a, a Twitter exchange that I had before the podcast. The guy who uh, did my course at uni uh, responded to the tweets uh, Elijah did announcing that he was leaving Liverpool uh, saying at BM Summer take care of my boy um, and I mean I don't know if this guy is listening to the podcast if he is I, I'm imagining he's getting precious little from it but I responded saying have you watched him play at all and he went only a few bits which basically means no um, and then another Liverpool fan responded saying he's like a young Ginny Vinealden. Uh so based on the opinion of those two people who I don't think have watched Elijah Dixon Bonner play even one minute of football I'm excited well you know, you've got to go off the uh, the opinions of people that have never watched these players play football because otherwise, because they're the experts, really, aren't they? Um, and only occasionally does it come off sort of well enough. Okay, so I think that's plenty covered on new signings. I don't really want to talk about new signings when it's outside the transfer window, but this seems like a, I'm not going to say a safe bet, but it seems like in the usual sort of mould for what we're doing at the moment. Uh, but we did play Reading very recently. And um, whilst I guess it wasn't necessarily the most amazing performance, it was incredibly satisfying to get the 2-1 win, to see them play in that way, and to see Reading very, very disappointed, which was nice as well. Uh, so the team headline to this game, uh, Jake Clark Salter comes in for Balogun, as we kind of suggested in the last pod. We didn't really think Balogun would be able to play that often Johansson and Tim came in for Amos and Dazelle Dykes came in for the injured Willock and Dieng does make the match uh, but he can't kick the ball still which means that he's 
throwing the ball more often than not. And Dan, you had a bit of a a comment about that post-match about Reading's reluctance to press when it was clear that Dieng couldn't actually do much. Yeah, I just found it quite funny. Um, I mean, I don't really rate him that highly as a manager. I don't think he's that that good tactically, but it was obvious from, what, 20 minutes in that we were playing playing short through Dieng. Uh, I mean, they're the two strikers, Caro and Jao, but they, they only really threaten when they kind of went man-to-man on them. But then again, they they never actually forced any direct pressure on on Dieng. So I just found it found it funny because like other teams that were going to play soon they'd have they'd have adapted to that or at least um tried to force us long. So yeah, I thought thought it was quite laughable really. Um you you did mention the last podcast, like and you just mentioned it there as well, that you don't really rate Ince as a manager and in particular that he wasn't very tactical. Um I didn't when you said that, I didn't think he would be this basic in his tactics, which was basically try and hit Andy Carroll at every possible attempt and just hope that something happens. And granted, you know, it did make me a little bit nervous at times because he's just that bit taller and obviously stronger and very wily in what he does. But um, it wasn't exactly a tactical masterclass. And in the end, probably was relatively easy for us to defend and if I was watching the game as a neutral I wonder whether I would have thought that QPR were the dominant side quite easily and Reading were you know below average really um Dan any thoughts on their lack of tactics no I'd, I'd agree I think uh, it was kind of obvious that they go direct into Carroll and kind of went off um off second balls um I thought the only thing, thing they were really like decent at was kind of sitting in that that mid mid to low block, and kind of just defending the space. Really, uh, we found it quite tough to break them down the first half at times. Um, but even in after the game, he said about they were doing uh, specific pressing traps to kind of trap us in wide areas, but they weren't effective apart from the uh, the one moment where they got the penalty off Irabun uh, from some mistakes. So, yeah, I didn't really think they were all that um, on Friday night, to be honest. Perfect time then to segue into some debate over whether it was a penalty or not and some chat about some brilliant EFL refereeing. Uh, Micah, I believe you're watching it on TV, so you had the benefit of watching it at a better angle, perhaps with a few replays. Personally, in the moment, I was very angry that it was given as a penalty. And I think post-match, that anger is justified. Um, It's a funny one, isn't it? Um... I was watching it with two people that don't normally watch QPR, so it was nice to like, actually win on Sky and not be embarrassed for once. Um, <sighs> I, I do feel, I'll be honest, I'm going to be the bad guy. I do think it was a penalty. Um, I think the guy does step on um, Irabunam, but Irabunam has gone to ground, and I feel bad for the kid because it was a very, I call him the kid, he's only four years younger than me. Uh, I feel bad for him because... I think it was a typical young player thing to do in that he's made a mistake and I think he's tried too hard to make up for it. So he's he's gone to ground, maybe has sold himself a bit too easily, I don't know. Um, but because he's gone to ground, I know the guy stepped on him, but I do think you have to give a penalty for that. Sorry. Anyone else got any thoughts on their penalty? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. 
agree with Micah. I thought, to be honest, I thought um, seeing it live, I thought it was harsh. But even though he's Jail steps on his foot, you can kind of see that Irobunum's taken taken his ankle slightly and kind of um, he's gone with it. So there is contact. I think I don't know. I, I, I'm probably sixty forty in the way of a penalty, but um, it wasn't like a clear and obvious one. That's for sure. Clear and obvious in the fact that the referee made an error, or oh, it's not. I don't know. There's still people saying it's not a penalty, and there's people saying there is. So it's not like it's not one you can definitely say that is a penalty. But it is it, up in the air for me. Ben, yeah, I mean, I was unfortunately um, not able to watch the game. So just based on, on what I've seen back, um, I thought Irabunum's the one given against us probably was a penalty. I think the one that we got was a fairly fortunate one as well. Um, but having been at the other end of a slightly questionable decision with that Andy Carroll tackle, and I don't know if that's something we were going to get onto. I think probably it was it was the bit of luck that we deserved at that point in the game, and great from Eric Boonham to get to that point. But um, I don't think we can complain too much about penalty decisions because I think on the whole we came out the luckier out of the two. I mean, for the one that we won, the guy just runs straight into him, like and wipes him out in a sense, like. If there's one thing that you're never meant to do in the box, it's what the Reading player did. There's so a little maybe bit... I need to watch the, it back again then. But the I felt like the, the their one was so soft. He's take yeah. There's a bit of a swipe there, but there's not enough contact to bring him down. It's not hard enough. It, it seems. I'm still, it, it I'm still watching like... the one that we got though. I'm 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 thinking the same thing about that. I've got to say, I'm not sure if he sort of runs straight into him. He's he's kind of running parallel to him. And Eric Boonham, I'm not saying he, he dives, but I don't think it's like, I don't think that's a cut and dry decision either. So I suppose my point is that I'm not, I'm a bit, I, I've got Dan's view of the uh, penalty against us. I've got that view about both of them. So, you know, given how the game turned out, I don't think we can feel aggrieved. I don't know. I, I think in both situations, I think the penalty is given, and this is just how I see it, I think the penalty is given because the two players have been very naive in what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So I don't think Urubunum should have gone to ground where he did. The Reading player, I don't think when someone's at full flight running into the box, the last thing I want my centre-back to do is running across him. Because whether there's contact or not, if you run across him, the optics to the ref look like you've gone, knocked him out of his direction and sent him over. I think there's enough contact, personally. I, my initial reaction was pen, and the people next to me thought penalty as well. Um. I think Paul Lintz would be wise to remember in the first half, there was this, and this is the one that was very obvious on TV, blatant yeah. handball. I think it's Irabuna yes. yeah. again, involved in everything. Um, he's headed it onto the guy's hand. We could, we were laughing on TV because on TV, you could see it in the Reading player's face. Like, he yeah, looks so good. Absolutely cacking it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he knows. Like, he knows it's hit, it's hit him right on the forearm. Um, how the linesman's missed it on either side, I don't understand. Um, the funny yeah. thing is, is that, you know, usually at this point you could possibly say, well, if there was VAR, they probably would have gone back and looked at that and said it was a penalty. But I'll take you two days forward to this Arsenal-Liverpool game where there is VAR. It's a very similar kind of incident. And, you know, I think it's Saliba or someone like that as their arm in a very weird position. Not Gabriel. Not by, yeah, Gabriel. Yeah, it's not, it definitely not by his side. And it definitely comes off his arm. Not, mm. and that's not given as a penalty either. So, regardless of what division you're in, regardless of whether there's VAR or not, 
that call apparently is the right one. Even though it smacks into his arm, he definitely blocks it and makes a deliberate movement with his arm to block the ball. Mm. Apparently that's not a penalty. So, you know, it's incredibly uh, dodgy refereeing. And it's already been mentioned, um, Andy Carroll, I think this is just after probably we've equalised. I can't quite remember exactly, but I think at the time I did say that he had made an attempt on Robert's life. Um, <laughs> it was an absolutely brutal tackle, considering the size of Andy Carroll and how injury-prone <laughs> poor Tyler is. I really, really was fearing the worst for him because he, he took a massive run up and just got nowhere near him. Definitely made contact. What it was one foot, but the I definitely looking at the highlights thought that the studs were up. It's reckless. It's dangerous. It's impossible in my mind that that isn't a red card, but apparently the referee sees it differently. I don't know whether there's any sort of mitigation for that. I'm I'm with you on that one, Dan. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Hang on. Mike, Mike said he doesn't know. I don't, oh, I don't know. It's, it's... It looks worse on, on replay for the fact that it's in slow motion. Um, it looked terrible when I saw it live underneath my nose. <laughs> it's, he doesn't it's go up with two don't... feet, though. He, he doesn't really go up with two studs. He goes up with one, doesn't he? I'm not, I'm not yeah. defending Carol per se, but it, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen worse probably given for yellow as well. Yeah, and initially I thought red when I seen it first, and when I saw the replays, it's it's a powerful tackle. But he he does I mean, win the ball. It, it it's would not be really a tackle if he won the ball, though. I don't think he wins the ball. No, I think he won the ball. He he won the ball. I think because if he didn't, then you probably have to give a red because his foot was relatively high. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if it was given. I wouldn't have been surprised, but I also wasn't like furious that it wasn't. If that makes sense. Maybe because we won. Maybe if we'd drawn or lost, I might feel differently. But I just remember feeling at the time, with with all the decisions, really, I just remember feeling like, other than the blatant humble in the first half, all the big decisions kind of could have gone either way. Mm. I mean, that should have been a red. It's re- It's too <laughs> reckless. It should be a red. Like, it, one foot, two foot, it doesn't really matter. You make it, You go in like that on someone, that is really dangerous play. Uh, no bias, of course, Alex. There's no um if one of our players did that as well, I'd be completely understanding of it being a red card. There's I just don't understand how the referee looks at that and thought, eh, yellow, maybe. You know. I also think it's it, just we... grounds to say, like, in, in terms of talking about oh, is it does he try and get the ball? Does he try and do this? Is it studs up? Is it whatever? Maybe this is me just being too sort of soft about the game, but you're in a season where players are playing ridiculous amounts of football. Some of them in the championship are going to be going off to the World Cup. They're under huge physical strain. I don't think you can be doing things that put other players in danger like that. Mm. You know, regardless of what exact angle your studs were at and that sort of thing. I just don't, you know, I, I can't see a, an excuse for it, really. And I may, look, maybe one of our players puts in that tackle and I'm a bit blinkered and I don't think the same. I like to think if one of our players got sent off for that, I would go, oh, you know, you can't argue with that. And if not, then I'm a hypocrite because I don't, I just don't think it's a good tackle. Thing is, yeah, like you can't, the way we're kind of going with it as well is if that's not going to be a red card for the, I guess, the intent and whatnot, you can, what the referee is actually saying is that you've got to actually 
injure a player now, or in the, in that game at least, for me to give a red card, you've got to make sig- really significant contact and injure a player. Like, is that, or, or is that not kind of, isn't like the, the having the red card in your pocket, is that not to try and also deter players from making those sort of challenges? <clears throat> Maybe. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to sound like everybody's uncle here, but I do. I, I hear Ben's point. Um, Are you going to do a great Graham Sooners? I'm going to I'm going to go full Graham Sooners. Yeah. I hear his point, but I think that's more of a scheduling issue in terms of rest. To me, I do think there's oh, God, I can't even believe I'm saying this. I do think there is a level of intensity and ing- aggression that is needed in football. I'm not going to use the it's a man's game term. But it's there, there is a level of that intensity that does come with me personally, right? I love I the reason I like bang on about Samba Diakite is I love 15 minutes into a game. I love seeing one of our players just bang, just straight into the opposition center midfield. Not to hurt him, obviously. If it's to hurt him, yeah. Do you know what was also like a big part of his game, Samba Diakite? Yeah, Getting well, a lot of red cards. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But, but that's it though. There, 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 there is a line. You, you can't. There is a line you can't cross. I want to see us. I want to see us strong in the tackle. I don't want to see us going out to hurt people. Um. I. Yeah. Player safety is important, but I. I. I think we have to encourage that intensity, especially in the championship. I think intensity. Yeah. Fine. But there's like a. I definitely think there's a line. I think more of that point is that there's fouls given that are incredibly soft purely because it's sort of like two players just coming together and then someone just literally will just track themselves to the ground and it's the bare it's the tiniest of contact that's where you probably need the intensity and it's been diff better this season because these more fouls have not been given for those type of instances and it's encouraging players to stay on their feet a bit more um, but I think that's enough talk about uh, decisions because, you know, as you can see, it, you can never really agree on anything. Um, let's talk something positive. Dan, Ozzy comes on and there were visible, no, not visible, audible oh no's around me when Laird went down injured uh, and people realised what was happening. But he puts in a pretty decent cross for Dykes' first goal. Overall, how do you think it went for him? What, Akakai's performance? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say I'd say it was fairly good. I thought obviously the ball the ball for Dykes was was a brilliant cross. And I think um he spoke about Dykes spoke about um kind of the understanding of Kakai a uh, fullback, kind of knowing what he what he'll do, he'll try and um do his usual step over and then play quite an early ball. Um, and it was a good, good finish by Dykes. But I thought, I don't know, I felt, I still felt his, um, his offensive play was frustrating at times. I know he's not, I know he's not a naturally attacking fullback, but there were too many occasions in the second half, well, down my end at least, where it was just too predictable or frustrating with his kind of end product. Um, and particularly when Dykes kind of thrives off those crosses. I'm uh, not to say that Laird is a good is a good crosser of the ball, but Laird, you you find he's a bit more predictable and a bit more dynamic in the way he attacks attack sides. Whether it's three different three different things, um, but it was a pleasing performance for someone that's kind of been 
shut out the team since Leg came came in. So um, no, it was a, it was a good performance from him, but uh, equally it was a little bit frustrating at times. It's funny that you have all these people post match sort of expressing a lot of joy that Aussies played very well. Um, and I guess he did to a certain extent, but I'd have to agree with what Dan was saying in that there was too many times when he was, I guess, sloppy is the word. That I think he let the ball go out of play a few times when we were uh, trying to see out the win at the end. Um, I wasn't. It was. It wasn't the sort of most assured performance. And I think if he doesn't put in that cross for Dykes, then the uh, the opinions post match are slightly different. Um, so, you know, I think this is the perfect opportunity for people not to go over the top. Be happy that he's done relatively well, but I don't think it was sort of a groundbreaking performance. Uh, Micah, you mentioned earlier in the season about Bill sort of learning on the job. Um, and I guess we've seen it with examples this week. He's rotated his midfielders. Uh, quite frequently, uh, something that seems to be quite important to him now. And no risks taken with Laird, even though Laird probably would have stayed on. It was a bit of tightness, his hamstring or something like that. But he didn't want to take any risk at all and bring him off. This is evidence, surely, that he's learning on the go. Yeah, I was about to say that's that's a very quick uh, sort of atonement of error. Um, Although it wasn't really a massive error losing to Swansea, I don't really think there's any shame in losing away at Swansea. Um, yeah, the, the lad thing, it was nice post-game hearing he was injured because I think one of the big differences off the pitch or does in the medical room, I'm not even sure what the term would be, um, but um, his, one of the big differences he has with Warburton is there's a lot less rotation. He does kind of, you know, I mean, we, we played the same two fullbacks pretty much 90 minutes since they've come in so it shows that he keys i don't know if it's ignoring the sports science i don't know how it works but he's a lot more willing to sort of have players out there on tired legs so to speak um so for him to kind of just you know it was a precaution with laird for him to just take him off um i think he was on the side next to him in the first half so clearly there must have been a sort of open dialogue so for him to just you know make that decision take him off i think that's really smart i think that shows thinking bigger picture um, and yeah, it's really it's, it's shown already that he's come on leaps and bounds in the job. So yeah, uh, very promising stuff already. Uh, and more examples of that comes sort of late on in the game where he does shake it up and goes to five at the back. He takes field off, which I was just having a look through his um, minutes field. It doesn't happen very often. Sam Field gets taken off. Usually he plays the full 90 minutes, whether that's under Warburton or under Beal. Dickey comes on, uh, Roberts and Steph go off, Dazelle and Amos come on. And I th- I'm so glad that it worked out. Um, and it ends up, I kind of feel like it freed Tim up to do a few more things. I don't know how you felt about it, Dan, but it, it was certainly interesting because at one point, um, he, I think he was always going to bring on Dezel and Amos, but we had a very limited midfield, and it, it, in the, for about two minutes, I was quite worried that we were going to try and play the rest of the game very similar to the way that we played against uh, Fulham in the second half at their place last season. So, a, a good move in the end. 
Yeah, I'd say so. Um, particularly, I thought the back three was a good move. Um, I mean, a couple of times, Dickie kind of stepped in from from centre-back. Um, but obviously, they didn't really press us that well man-to-man. So, they kind of, the spare, the spare centre-back far side kind of could step in. I think there was a few times where Dickie kind of stepped up and, and broke the line and we, we were in on goal. So, no, it was, it was pleasing, pleasing the change. Um, and that's what the third or fourth tactical changes kind of made in the second half of the games and it's kind of impacted the game so not only positive yeah that's exactly one of the things that we wanted to see from him uh, at the start of the season when we hoped that we were going to get that in a manager at least uh lastly it would be completely wrong of us if we weren't to mention i'm going to assume that he was man of the match because he did score two goals to win us a game but ben dykes i guess back in form a fantastic header and a well-taken penalty as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, again, I can't speak too much. I, I didn't watch the, the game in full, but very, very happy for Lyndon Dykes. Um, Willock being out for what looks like four or five games is an opportunity for him, um, I suppose, in that we've gotten used to playing pretty well without him. That sort of fluid front three thing with Roberts, uh, Willock and Chair, um, I quite like the look of from what I've seen of it but you do sometimes feel like you lack a, a, a sort of real central focal point um, with, with Roberts up front. And uh, if Dykes can continue this, then then great. And if he can't, then actually the form of our fans so far this season has shown that we won't be too harsh on him, which I think is also just kind of the only productive way to go about things. So, no, very happy for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that first, first goal was incredibly well taken. Fantastic header. Uh, and he kind of exactly what he wants, isn't it, Micah, from deliveries? He doesn't seem to get that. I mean, he's had his, his obvious chances, but that is his bread and butter, isn't it? Putting his head on everything. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's a great head, though. It's a great bit of movement as well. Um, yeah, just, just echoing what um, Ben said, you do notice that with Dykes, there is a bit more of a focal point. Obviously, he does have the tendency to wander and drop a bit deep. But I think with those two behind him, um, whether it's Chair and Willock, Chair and Roberts, um, whoever else, Chair and Amos, God knows how many people played behind there in the past week. Um, it does feel like there's more of a a, a figure there. Um, I, I I would say um, similar to Kakai, you know, this is it's his third goal since January, so you know, as don't let's not go overboard. Let's not let's not praise him to the high heavens. We. We do need him to take this opportunity with Willock out, and it's a good opportunity for him. Um, I would love nothing more for him to score in the next four games, but but that that's where he builds now. He's he's got that duck off his back. He needs to start scoring on a on a regular basis for us. So um, hopefully, with more crosses into the box, um, he will. Even if he didn't score those two goals, um, and hopefully someone else did score instead of him, the performance in general was quite good I felt like yeah. <clears throat> there was a lot more I mean he always puts in a bit of effort but it felt like that he kind of knew what he was doing a bit more I don't know there felt like there was a lot he contributed a lot outside of just scoring yeah no it, it was it was um yeah again to Ben's point it was that that focal point that guy that was giving the defenders something to think about especially when I think it I don't want to say blessing in disguise but actually it might have being a little bit that we had a bit more of a of a target man type player against such a defensive side against a t- side that sat back, 
because obviously, you know, with, with Dykes, uh, with Dykes, with Willock and Roberts, they do have the tendency to switch positions and obviously they want to come deeper and get ball to feet. Whereas Dykes was kind of just comfortable, just occupying that um, back line. So it gave it gave something for um, Reading to think about and he was a, he was a nuisance all night. Um, I, I don't know if anyone's heard this, but um, he stepped up to take the penalty himself. There's not a nominated taker. Yeah. Yeah, I saw this. Um, massive balls. I won't lie, mm. massive balls. The guy has missed a number of chances at the lower loft end. Like the obviously the was it Hull? I yeah. think it was Hull, the 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 bad one. Takes massive balls to like in that same spot go and take the penalty in what was like a even game at that time. So I'll give him credit for that. And against the keeper that knows him pretty well as well. That's the other yeah. thing, you know, with that sort of narrative around. I mean, my dad was at the game and he was saying to me after every part of him felt like Dykes was going to miss that, not or rather that Lumley was going to save it, not out of a lack of faith in London Dykes, but out of knowing that the sheer force of the narrative of Joe Lumley having had a difficult time since leaving QPR, saving a penalty by a player whose fortunes have not been that great this season, it just would have been too strong for. So, yeah, huge sort of huge courage for him to do that. And um, yeah, and also, I mean, just briefly, like the thing is with Dykes this season having not been, you know, very consistent compared to Austin last season is quite different in that Austin was on a downturn in his career. Dykes, we've seen during his time at QPR, has been consistent at points, has been clinical at points for that second half of his first season. So there is that player in there. It's not like he's on, on a downward trend. So hopefully, hopefully this continues. So, um, you know, last thing to say about Reading, I guess, is that what a surprise that midfield with Jeff Hendrick as its linchpin doesn't create anything. Moving <laughs> swiftly on, Luton uh, at the weekend, a lovely 12.30 kickoff on Sky yet again. Uh, so, you know, we couldn't get anyone on to talk about Luton or Cardiff, actually, uh, which is a little bit disappointing. But we will hand over now to our resident Luton expert, Dan Lambert, who's going to tell us, I guess, you know, so much stuff about them. And unfortunately, we might have to mention their manager a few times. Um, but how have they sort of started in comparison to last year, Dan? Um, I think fairly well. Um, I haven't followed them too too in depth this season. Um, I think they're a few points off the playoffs. Um, obviously, they've kind of strengthened in their squad. They brought in the likes of Carlton Morris, who I think scored six goals a season. Um, Cooley Woodrow. So they've come um, and a few others, obviously, like of Luke Freeman. So they've got they've got some strength and depth that they perhaps didn't have last year when they kind of fell short in the playoffs, but. Uh, they're still a good side, um, and obviously, I, I, I rate Nathan Jones quite highly as a manager. Um, so it'll be a it'll be it'll be a tough test um, on Saturday. Uh, ben and Micah, this couldn't be a question for either of you. Did you guys realise that uh, Luke Freeman played for Luton? I yeah. did know. I did know this actually because this has gone under the radar for me. I just did not pick this up at all. I only know this because I watched um, Bristol City v Luton with one of my friends a couple of weeks ago um, and I heard the name Luke Freeman and I had to sort of double check that it was actually who I thought it was. I mean, there's yeah. a player that possibly just should never have left. Well, his career's um, not, not gone great, has it? Like, no. I, I mean, he's one of those ones I do sort of follow, where's he at? And he was at Sheffield United, didn't really play. I think there may have been an injury there. Then went to Nottingham Forest, didn't really play. Millwall, I think, was was the thing in there as well. And then Luton. 
Um, but I do follow him. I still actually have notifications on for Bright or Sorry Samuel. There are some players that I just sort of go, I wonder how wonder how they're doing, kind of want to keep up with them. But um, Luke Freeman, yeah, it's gone downhill. I mean, it won't get mentioned anymore because I guess people have moved on. But if you think back to the time when we sold him, I think we sold him for about four to five million or something like that. That was scandalously low for some people. So, you know, it turns out that we've potentially done a bit, a shrewd bit of business there. I mean, obviously he fitted in with what we were trying to do, but he didn't play much, like you said, at Sheffield United. Um, And to be, you know, maybe I'm being overly critical, but he never looked like the most sort of in shape of footballers. He always had that sort of Luke Shaw build of body about him. Um, So, you know. I think in hindsight, I think, I think people be, of course, a little bit embarrassed by some of the reactions of Freeman leaving. But I think as well, and not to get philosophical, but I think Freeman leaving allowed Eze to kind of come play in that number 10 role. Mm. And obviously, we know how that turned out. So I think all things considered, you'd probably say, yeah, you've got to be happy with the Freeman deal five years on. Absolutely. Uh, Moving the focus back towards Luton Dan uh, where is the threat going to come from on Saturday who, who should we be looking at that's going to be quite worrying for us uh, I'd say the front two uh, Adebayo and uh, Carlton Morris two kind of powerful mobile centre forwards um, and probably the other one James Bury uh, their right wing back I think he played right centre back in the last game but um, he's kind of their biggest threat in possession quite great fullback so yeah, I'd say those two, and obviously with the fact that they're a high-pressing side, um, and they like to go man-to-man, which some teams have against us this season, it'll probably be a test of our kind of physical and athletic capabilities on Saturday. Micah, anything to add on Luton? What you might expect from them? Um, not really much to add. You know, um, they're, they're one of those teams I was watching um, Mick Beale talk uh, do his pre pre game interview with the club or whatever they call it, and he was talking about obviously um, about sort of like the passion of the coach sort of translating into the team uh, with Luton. Um, funnily enough, I actually think that's kind of played into our hands on both the occasions that we've played mm-hmm. them. Um, I think especially the one on the back end of last season at their place, who had I think Dicky scored the winner. Of- oftentimes, it does it does feel like when we play Luton and maybe it's to do with the rivalry that they've built up they play the occasion more than the game and oftentimes we kind of especially the game I just mentioned get away we've got away with that um so it'll be interesting to see Saturday I think Nathan Jones is a manager who's another one that um improves season on season um it'll be interesting to see how he kind of approaches that game with us in that sense so the weird thing about that, if we're going to go back and compare it to the rivalry, I guess you could call it, that we had with Brentford that Ben mentioned, is that we always seem to get overruled by the occasion in those games. And Brentford mm. had their little videos and their stadium announcer doing their thing, sort of like being very vocally um, passionate about the game, I guess. And we would always crumble under that pressure. I felt doesn't seem to happen in this Luton game. You know, is it more the case that actually this is more of just a, this isn't actually a rivalry. This is just a clash between 
some of the worst sections of our fan bases. Yeah, I would say. I mean, especially not on the the pitch. I, well, the players are aware of it being a rivalry. I think Ilya's chair may have mentioned some stuff on the Open All Lars pod about how sort of he's aware that it's a, a kind of spicy fixture or whatever. But each each game that we've had, I've just thought about this at Luton away in the past three seasons, the three seasons under Warburton. First of all, we played attacking football. They played attacking football. That's usually quite entertaining. But also, each game at Luton away, we had a point to prove. So if you look at um, 2019-20, we were on a losing run that we didn't expect to be on, and we got a one-all draw that sort of started to pull us out of that. Season after that, Bon and Austin score on Austin's return, and that's kind of a statement. We've got Charlie Austin again, and um, and last season it was it was a win that I think at that point felt a bit like we're still in this we're still mm. in the playoff race um you know so i guess i guess we've had that kind of fire in our belly in a good way um whereas now i think we're going into it on confidence and on belief in the in the coach and the team and it'll be interesting to see if that makes for a different sort of game but i'm i'm not saying i'm think we're going to go in there and definitely win it but i'm not i'm not worried in the way that i would be if we were playing a, another team that we had a, a rivalry with in that way yeah feels like we're in a healthier position i guess rather than just sort of getting through the game on adrenaline and effort. it's There's going to be some sort of, not saying there hasn't been tactical stuff in the past, but it's going to be well thought out, at least, uh, for the majority of the game. Um, Laird, as has been revealed today, is touch and go for the match, apparently. But, Dan, something that will probably excite majority of the fan base, it's not the fact that Armstrong's returning Richards might actually be fit to play some minutes this weekend now that is interesting isn't it yeah that's something I've been looking forward to really since we signed him um he's a different profile of player to to kind of what we have he's I mean like I said before he's a good ball carrier but you look at that bench over the last what four or five weeks we haven't really had that type of profile I think it was a doma and can't remember who else was on the bench on Friday night, but there wasn't anyone of that ilk that can kind of come on and break break a team down and change the game. So I think that's a that's a big um big sign for us. And I think he'll be a he'll be a good player in years to come for us. Yep. Um so looking at the eleven that we could probably put out, obviously Willock's still out injured. Um we hope that Dieng is a bit more recovered with the week's rest and that I guess what is it, seven, eight days off was and will be very important going into this game, being the early kickoff um, and not having to play midweek. Because again, I think it, it, it does ramp up again with the game against Cardiff midweek straight after this. So, what if we had Laird fit? I assume you guys would be wanting the same eleven that started against Reading, or would you like to see? I guess the only areas that we would possibly see a change would be Dicky perhaps coming in if he's fully fit alongside Clark Salter, maybe a change of midfield. Anything that you guys would want to make a case for? Um, for me, I'd probably I'd probably keep it the same. The only, I think the only thing that's kind of obviously with the lead injury, it might be one one change, but I think he'll keep Dunnan for the fact that they're gonna try and. Um, play off second balls with uh, Morris and Adebayo. But at the same time, I think I, I think I heard a stat from um, Jack Supple in the week that Dickie actually has a pretty good aerial um, dual success rate, higher than higher than what Jimmy Dunn is. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be against 
um, playing that Dickie Clark sort of partnership, which I think is our best partnership of of the back back four. Um, so it'd be interesting to see kind of what he uh, what he does for the two centre halves. Ben, any thoughts? Not really, to be honest. I mean, I think we, Michael was talking earlier about rotation, and as much as this positions where we haven't done it much. Um, I think the the key to those three wins in a row was being willing either in the starting lineup or substitutions to change back the midfield a little bit. Um, and I think Beal knows what he's doing enough that really lots of combinations of that three could work. So, I, you know, I'm sure it'll be just based on whose legs are the, the freshest for it. And I don't have any strong opinions, if I'm being honest with you. Micah, last one. Yeah, I wonder if he'll look to the uh, the, the fixture pile up three games in a week. Um it's interesting um, as well. I, I wonder what I'll do with Irabunan because he's he. I think he's done quite a great job of protecting him thus far and sort of slowly introducing him into men's football. I wonder if he feels it might be better to use him later on in the week. You know, Cardiff at home, and I can't remember who we've got after Cardiff. Um, so I'll be interested to see because obviously, as we said, as we discussed, there's a lot of options in midfield. So I wonder if he'll choose to, you know, keep him going on this good run of form or will he look to protect him, give somebody else a run out? Um, that's, apart from that, I don't really see what I'd change. And even that, I'd probably go the same team. So Lovely stuff. So uh, you've mentioned Cardiff there. Let's quickly move on to them to round off this week's podcast. Uh, so what I've got written in front of me is uh, they play in blue. They're from Wales and Ben lives there. That's as much as my research went. Um, so Ben, what have you heard much from sort of people around you down in Cardiff, how their season's kind of going? Because they have bizarrely sacked Steve Morrison and it just seemed that they were doing a pretty good job, just sort of not doing amazing, but sort of building towards something from a pretty low foundation last year. Uh, and then he gets the sack. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. I mean, I do live in Cardiff, but actually, weirdly, I I thought I knew more Swansea fans than Cardiff fans. Um, certainly, those have been the ones that I've spoken to more about football. And then the day that um, Morrison got sacked, half the people I work with, half the people I know from various other places in Cardiff are all on Twitter going, this is a disgrace. And it's like, oh, you were Cardiff City fans the whole time. And actually, you're not happy about this at all. Um, no, I mean, I, I've, I, you know, I've seen a couple of Cardiff City games last season, this season on, on TV and whatever. The one that sticks out to me is early-ish in Morrison's tenure, the game in which he made Steve Cooper's Nottingham Forest look absolutely pedestrian. Um, I think that was live on Sky at the time. And it's it's a very, very confusing decision. They backed him in the transfer market. Um, you know, the, the likes of uh, Callum Robinson coming in. I mean, I'm looking at just their last lineup even. Keep Ray was, I think he's possibly, yeah, on loan. But, you know, decent players coming in. I know they had that left back come in, I think, who then got injured very quickly. But regardless, I don't know any Cardiff City fans who were happy with that decision. Um, that being said, their form has not been too bad since then. Um, they picked up seven from a possible nine. Um, yes. Which seems, again, like it's well, I don't know if that's an improvement on their form, but you know, it's a pretty good record to have because I think there's a draw in there against Burnley as well. Yeah, I mean, I know a Burnley fan who went to that game and he had a different experience of it. But, um, uh, you know, it, yeah, it's I, I can't say I'm intimately familiar with them. They do play in blue. They do live in Wales and I also live here. But beyond that, I'm not, you know, I don't know the forensic detail, but um, I think they're decent, despite the weird Morrison decision, basically. Uh, Dan, I will come to that. you on Cardiff very shortly. But, I, you know, Micah, you do 
live in Bristol as well. Do you have any sort of Cardiff friends that have enlightened you on their season? Um, no, the people I the people I know from uh, Wales will support Swansea, which I think was a glory decision from some of them. But I'll keep quiet about that. The, the, the Why Morrison... is there so? There seems to be a lot of Swansea fans. I, you know, maybe I naively thought this, but I thought they were the slightly slightly smaller club. Well, I think that's the. I think they were, but then I think Swansea got to the Premier League first. Yeah. So I think that changed it. Did a better job I, I, in the I don't, Premier League. As well. I can't profess to know much about them. I know a lot about their players because they're they're in that. It feels like they're in that weird stage we were in for a couple of years, where all the Championship journey men kind of go through Cardiff. So Callum O'Dowder was a player I used to quite like at Bristol City. I know he's at Cardiff, and obviously we're all very familiar with Callum Robinson from his time at West Brom. So they. They're another one of those championship teams that they do have the tools to catch you by surprise. There is enough quality in the team on their day for them to surprise you. Um, from what I understand, their away records picked up as well quite recently. I think they beat Wigan um, on the weekend, which is a horrible place to go for numerous reasons. Um, so um, they'll, I imagine they'll come to Loftus World. I guess we don't know what result they'll have on Saturday, but I imagine they'll come to Loftus Road feeling like they might be able to to get one over on us. Okay. Um, Dan, anything to say about Cardiff without insulting the city like Micah does with my Wigan, not Cardiff. Cardiff's actually a lovely city, I like to say. I <laughs> it, really it is quite too right. Too right. The past weekend, I had a great time. Um, um no, I haven't seen I haven't seen too much of them to be honest. Um Obviously, like uh, Ben and Michael said, Callum Robinson's the 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 one that's kind of kind of it seems to have changed it for them in attack. I think he scored quite a few goals and assists of late. Um, I've heard good things about their left back um, in Kunku on loan from Everton, um, and the only other one I'd say is probably their better player is Ryan Wintle. He's quite a good ball player at the level, um, and he seems to be doing well there. So, yeah, I'm sure it'll be a I'm sure it'll be a tough test. I don't think they've got a new manager out there. Uh, no, it's still, um, I don't know who it is, but it's it's not a full-time appointment. But this is what they did with Morrison last time, wasn't it? it? He was temporary for an extended period of time and then was eventually appointed. Um, I don't know whether they, you know, this is why I wanted to speak to a Cardiff fan this week, but unfortunately no one replied to me because I wanted to sort of find out what was the sort of, this the thing, why was Morrison sacked? What at the time, was he the first choice at all for getting the job full-time or would they just settle on him after looking through a load of managers and decided no one was good enough? Morrison himself, do you mean, or Hudson, the caretaker? Uh, Morrison, because it, well, he was temporary manager for ages, wasn't he? I, f- I feel like he dragged himself into contention. I mean, yeah. the game against us where we won 1-0 was a sort of rare blot on his, his record at that point. They were playing well. I mean, I thought they played... A- okay against us but by the accounts of the other performances they were playing very well um and i think it was one of those you've kind of got to keep him things i also find it interesting that um i'm just rapidly scrolling through wikipedia but i'm pretty sure he was in the coaching setup um under yeah he was a first team coach under morrison um and so it's a bit like the sort of should john eustace get the qpr job discourse um and wasn't morrison discourse floating around hudson he wasn't he the manager no he was still the 23s manager i think yeah so Promoting from within, they, but not sort of. Doesn't seem like there's a, a deliberate plan to pr- promote from within. This is like a just sort of 
see what happens. Well, well, Neil Harris yeah. was there before, and obviously Morrison and Harris are both at Millwall, so I imagine it's through that link. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that there's been a sort of fractious relationship with the fans and uh, Vincent Tan for quite a while, mm. um, and I think the Morrison sacking was another decision that kind of got really, really questioned there. Well, I think it's pretty safe to say that when you follow a championship side up and down the country, you can go to some places that are pretty bleak. And I'm not saying that Cardiff is bleak, but the vibe inside the stadium last year from the Cardiff fans was one of, we cannot be asked of this. We're just doing this out of sort of obligation. This is incredibly painful. They were not expecting anything. They were very depressed. Weird theory. I have a weird theory on that. Having been to that stadium, I would say maybe seven, eight times and five or six of those times, Cardiff not being that good. I think the thing is with that stadium, because the way it's built, because it feels massive, when it's not mm. full, it feels soulless. Like It feels like none of the fans are having a good time. They could be singing at the top of their lungs for all you know, and you can't really hear them because it's so big and echoey. Um, Ditto for the Majeski. And probably the, yeah, the, the middle, that's Middlesbrough one as well. When it's not yeah, full. yeah, it's a lot of these big championship stadiums that aren't sort of bringing in the fans because they're not very mm. good at the moment. And I, I don't know because I, I've said that a couple of times coming from Cardiff games and I've heard from people I know that support Cardiff or go to Cardiff games and they're like, oh, no, we're really optimistic this year. Or, oh, no, we, we you know, we thought we played well. It's just it's just those weird stadiums. And I don't want to get into QPR, should we renovate Lostus Road discourse? But I would hate if we, we played in a stadium like that. I would hate it. Well, I'm well, glad you asked that question. That because right now, as the podcast is recording, the fans forum is going on. Um, is this not a great time for a fans forum, by the way? The Stanley Bowles stand has been refurbished. I think Clive from Loughborough West tweeted, Stanley Bowles stand has been refurbished, so no questions about the toilets. We've got safe standing, so no safe standing questions. And we're third in the I league. saw literally as well, they've, they've renovated at least the women's toilets. They said earlier they've really renovated them this summer because yep. there was a comment about female fans' experience at Loftus Road. Tick, done that, sorted the toilets. Cannot be a better time. What is that? Thought... Someone's going to find something to complain about. Trevor Sinclair. <laughs> Don't say it. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not going to touch. We're not going. We are. We are not going there on the podcast. <laughs> I just said two. I just said two words. They happen to combine. What, and what, to what cause a good striker! A what a good player he was. Let's he talk was about very good Goddard player. What very good player. Um, you know, I was considering before we came on here, do I get one of the guys to try and watch the fans forum as we're recording? But no, I like I was considering it because I've got the Bluetooth big headphones on. I thought I could I could put in a little earphone maybe and do it. That I was considering it, but I don't <laughs> want to put myself through it either. Do I don't think I mean this is this is live our generation planning for you, but I don't think any of us are gonna do a sort of we watch the fans forum so you don't have to article, are we? No, I mean, I mean uh, again, Clive Whittingham sort of puts himself on that line and uh, puts himself through the pain for the rest of our sakes. And, yeah, you know, credit to him for doing that. And I think it means the rest of us don't have to suffer. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one more thing to say about the fans forum is that there was a, a journalist that used to cover us, now covers yeah. Middlesbrough. And he said a couple of weeks ago, prior to... Wild, Wilder's sacked now, isn't he? 
He sacked? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is. I thought I was imagining that for a moment. Prior to the Wilder sacking, he was saying that there's a big divide between Borough fans and the ownership. They don't feel connected at all. And he said, QPR do this thing like called a fans forum and it builds a connection between the fans and the board. <laughs> I was like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And if you think that a fans forum based on what QPR have done is a good idea, then you are in deep trouble and it needs more than like 45 minutes to be streamed on YouTube that you need more than that. You need to, it, I couldn't believe what I was reading to be honest. Um, but I think, there's nothing else to be said about QPR this week. It's been an enjoyable couple of weeks. Um, yeah. And unless you guys have got anything else to say, we'll wrap up this podcast now. Well, nope. just to prove my cred for um, the fact that I've got Bright Osai Samuel notifications still on because I set them when he left the club and can't bear to take them off. He's just been subbed on for Fenerbahce um, and he's on for Ajan Alioski, which is a name that uh, I'd completely forgotten about. So that's just your Bright Osai Samuel up there. Wow. Who's he, who are they playing? I assume it's Europa League, is it? Ben, you're muted. Sorry. Yes, they are playing in the Europa League. They're playing against AEK Larnaca, who are from Cyprus. Okay. Yes. Cypriot Giants. That is classic Europa League fodder, that is, isn't it? That is beautiful. That's a red button on BT Sport if I've ever heard of it. Um, so, yes, we'll wrap up this podcast here. Thank you very much, Ben. Dan, Micah, for... Sorry, Mitchie Batshuayi has just scored in that game, just to give you the updates on that. Okay. This is going to come out after the game. It's going to mean nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm realising now, like, we're doing these live updates. And no, like, I'm going to post it straight away. So it's kind of going to be close enough. Um, plus one. Plus yeah. one. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on and derailing the end of this podcast. Um, the only thing that we can say right now is that there is a fantastic, I'm going to say there's a fantastic column coming out this weekend in the uh, Hoops match day program. So go and read my writing, please. Uh, and pay for it, even though you could probably get it for free on our generation. Um, apart from that, thank you very much for listening subscribe to us on whatever podcast channel you use or provider you're using to listen to this give us a review um a good one only not a bad one and follow us all on twitter because it's well worth your time so thank you very much for listening until next time come on you ask <laughs>